Hello and welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves. And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuiper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified. Today we are joined by Fort Meade Garrison Commander Colonel Eric Sprague and Command Sergeant Major Michael Benkendorf. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, no problem. Our pleasure. Glad to be here. So right now, COVID-19 is all that anybody can think about or talk about. And I'm sure it's been keeping both of you uh, pretty busy, but Colonel Sprague, can you talk to us a little bit about where Fort Meade stands today with the coronavirus? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. That's a question we get all the time. And to be honest with you, um, we are probably in the middle of it. We're, we're not at the very beginning, but we're nowhere near the end. Um, so with the coronavirus and with our public health officials, this is something very new. You know, uh, this time last year, coronavirus or corona COVID-19 wasn't even a thing. And all of a sudden it popped up on the world stage and everybody's trying to get their hands around what it is and how it reacts. Um, so we've taken a lot of prudent measures to begin with um, just to kind of keep the number of cases down amongst our service members and our civilians and our families that live and work on Fort Meade. And those have been working. Um, but we are, we are nowhere near the end of this thing. And, you know, as we look forward, everybody wants that opportunity to get back and relax some of these restrictions and do summer type things. And I just don't think it's going to look and feel like a normal summer this year. And as, and as far as the garrison staff, um, it's prudent on them to plan as if we will have a second wave in the fall time frame. So how we approach business, how we conduct our missions, how we interact with people is going to be fundamentally altered uh, going forward until such time we get a vaccine or a, uh, some kind of a, a universal cure for this. Yeah, and I, I think, I think what, what people may have to remember is that what normal was like before may not be what normal looks like going forward. So we have to keep uh, a lot of those things in mind, you know. And that's going to be the hardest thing to impart on folks. You know, again, when, we're, when we talk these risk reduction measures, those had profound uh, impacts on the, on the families, the service members, our retiree community, um, just very profound impacts. And they will naturally, once the states start relaxing these restrictions, which Governor Hogan's already done, I think there will be a mindset that, boom, we can go back to doing things like we used to. And again, that's just not, not going to be the case. You know, for example, um, everybody wants the gyms to open and get back into the gyms. And, uh, and I'm one of them. But when we do open the gym, when the conditions are correct to open up the gyms, it's going to be very gradual. So I've got two gyms on post. We're only going to open one and, and assess it. Um, but who is allowed to go into the gym? That's going to be restricted, probably to those uh, personnel that have common access cards. And then the number of people that actually can be inside the gym at any given time, that is going to be reduced to ensure we, we maintain that social distancing and capacity issues. But, you know, then, then that brings up another problem, right? 
So if you've got 100 people that want to go to the gym and you can only let 50 in, um, and those 50 that are in the gym are all gym rats and they stay there for four or five hours, what happens to the other folks? So that's another dilemma that we got to work through. So we're probably going to have to put time restrictions uh, for the patrons or for those people that go into the gym. Um, so that's just kind of an example of when people think when people think things are going to get back to normal, this is what the new normal is going to look like. You know, and I think it's important for people to understand that it's not me and my sergeant major or Colonel Burke and his sergeant major just making random decisions willy-nilly. There's a lot of thought and a lot of professionals that are weighing in on all of these decisions, right? Um, so we're talking about bringing things back on board. One of the ways um, that I'm making folks to bring services, programs, or events back on board is through our recovery review board. And this is a tactic that we've uh, borrowed from the garrison in Italy, who's a, a few weeks ahead of us now. So this board has all the subject matter experts on it, right? It has your public health official. It has your installation safety on it. It has your ops team. It has you guys, the PAO folks. Um, has the lawyers. Um, so it, it, it's just very important for people to understand that these decisions are not driven by one or two people for their self-benefit or their self-interest. It is through a myriad of professionals whose best interest is everyone. Sergeant Major, so you came to Fort Meade in October and within a few months of you getting here, we're hit with this with this pandemic, right? So what has it been like for you to adjust to a new team and then deal with the crisis of this level? So luckily I had a few months to integrate and build relationships with the garrison team members and my peers across the installation, which uh, made coordinations during this difficult time much easier. Uh, you know, it was a bit difficult at first when the public health emergency was declared. Uh, to make the plans to find all the service members for these additional tasks such as screening and uh, operations at the uh, at Kimbrough. Um, the units here on Fort Meade quickly assisted with these askings and made it happen. So, you know, I want to thank uh, the Cryptological Warfare Group 6, the 70th ISRW, the 704th MI Brigade, the 780th MI Brigade, the 902nd MI Group, the U.S. Army Field Band, our very own headquarters command battalion and the 55th combat camera for assisting us with all these taskings. They're doing a phenomenal job and making stuff happen. Can you talk a little bit about how the fort has been working with the county and the state and even communicating with the schools during this pandemic? Yeah, that's a good question, Sherry. Uh, so it, as you know, since mid-March, uh, Fort Meade in conjunction with our state and local partners have implemented a multitude of prudent response measures designed to protect force so our force can protect the nation. Um, and as I said earlier, those measures came at a cost. Um, and again, that's disruption and inconvenience. So it's important to remember this. Of the approximate 60,000 joint service members, civilians, and contractors that work on Fort Meade, Roughly 45,000 live off the installation in Anne Arundel, Howard, Baltimore, Montgomery, and Prince George's counties. And again, this is really important because if the responses implemented by uh, me at Fort Meade 
are not in concert or in alignment with the state or the county executives, we're placing even greater stress on our most precious resource, which is our people. Um, I participated in a national defense uh, webinar, uh, national defense communities webinar, uh, about this time a month ago, and I was asked a very similar question. Um, their question was how we work together with state and local governments to maintain critical services, support for essential personnel and their families. So I'm going to kind of take some of that to respond to your answer. And I, I believe it, was, it starts with how you define essential personnel. I believe everyone would agree that our first responders, which is our law enforcement, our emergency medical services and firefighters, will always be considered mission essential regardless if it's a pandemic or a man-made disaster similar to the events of 9-11. But up until this point, not too many people would have considered a cashier or a stock person at the grocery store or a child care provider as mission essential. But that is absolutely the case throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. So having these services available to the workforce enables our tenant organizations and units to continue their respective mission sets. Um, so that, that was part of it. The second half of the question is focused on our partnerships with state and local governments to maintain critical services and support. So this will kind of get to your um, to your point, Sherry. And it begins with clear and consistent communications with not only our workforce, but our partners, our community partners. So over the last month or so, the Garrison, in conjunction with our Army Medical Department Command, have hosted a number of virtual town halls, one of which was co-hosted with the Anne Arundel County Executive, Mr. Stuart Pittman. So not only was it reassuring to our Fort Meade residents that the county and installation are nested, but it provided the county executive an opportunity to discuss other impacts, including the Anne Arundel County Public School System. So for those of you that are not aware, Fort Meade is the home of seven county public schools, and all of which were closed because of uh, COVID. Uh, so beyond the educational aspect, these closures have also impacted the school lunch program. It was only through that partnership county superintendent and the county executive were we able to bring the service back to Fort uh, Meade while ensuring on DOD students were uh, had access to those meals as well. So it's all about partnership and it, although it's cliche, it does ring true. You know, with COVID-19, we're all in this together. Well, and I think you also hit on kind of a key thing um, that kind of leads to our next question, which is for both of you is right away you started doing these town halls. I feel like it was literally the day an announcement was made that COVID hit. I know my workday got turned upside down and you had a town hall within probably 24 hours. And you've had that constant communication ever since. That's been a huge part of how you guys have been able to keep the mission going. So what else have you been doing to keep Fort Meade up and running when literally everything else in the world is coming to a stop? <laughs> Well, so, and again, I'll, I'll kind of go back to present day when, when you turn on the news, it is a debate among the states. Is it too soon to open? And when you think about that, the governors, they have to balance public health or safety with the economic impacts that COVID-19 is taking, all right? So that's kind of how the states are tackling this problem when it comes to reopening. For me as a garrison commander, I, 
my problem set's a little bit different. Mine is balancing force protection with mission assurance, continuing our national security missions. And we've, we, us and the mission uh, partners here on the installation have done a phenomenal job. You know, so when COVID came up, we, everybody did the uh, prudent measure by maximizing telework. So within a probably about a two-week time span, approximately 85% of the garrison workforce was teleworking. And only the, the truly essential or critical personnel were, were brought to work physically. And again, we're looking at your security guards, your, your police, your firefighters, the ones that, you know, you can't telework with. Our mission partners did the exact same thing. Uh, and I think what we learned through this pandemic is teleworking is, um, and with the technology that we have today, we can pretty much continue our mission uh, uninterrupted. So that that that's been a that's been a positive out of all of this. I don't know, sorry, Major, if you want to add anything to this. Yeah, you know, since COVID-19 has been the focus, uh, the Garrison directors continue to plan for future events and how they will conduct them in a post-pandemic environment. Um, our construct, future construction renovation plans are continuing. Um, we're still doing emergency work orders through uh, DPW, so uh, that's a good thing. We didn't lose all those services, but uh, they kind of continue behind the scenes that a lot of a lot of folks may not notice or understand. I, I would have to say there's a multitude of things going on. I, I mean, at the level, at your level, I, we can only imagine you know, just from what we see, how much you guys have going on, uh, what's what's been the biggest challenge with COVID-19? We probably have one of our biggest challenges these last few days. Uh, the installation is receiving unforecasted gains from advanced individual training. Uh, finding the barrack space for all these soldiers has been challenging, but it was not a bridge too far. Um, I appreciate all the quick turnaround from the units and freeing up space for these newly assigned soldiers. Yeah, and, and for me, I think the biggest challenge is it's, it's having to make these, making these decisions that I know impact how people want to go about their daily lives. The restrictions that we've placed on them, um, the inconveniences. Yeah, take, take the school lunch program. I mean, that came off the block for a little while because we just weren't aware of how many folks actually participate in that program. But there's a huge number of uh, Fort Meade residents whose children go to these schools that really rely on this program. Taking away or shutting down the CDCs, that was a very significant emotional event, right? Because we're requiring mission essential personnel to come into work, you know, doing our nation's bidding but we don't have the ability to um, put their children in safe quality um, CDCs. But that, that's, but those are decisions that we had to make because it's in the best interest of not only the child, but also of the employees um, responsible for those children. So the biggest challenge is, you know, when it all comes down to it, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't because you know the decision you make is going to impact someone and they're not going to like it. But I will have to comment on the resiliency of this community. Um, 
I think one of the coolest things that I've experienced so far was uh, just prior to a town hall when you guys, PAO, did a poll. And I believe you asked them, hey, what service should be brought open first? And it was barbershops and CDCs. And it was kind of 50-50 split, but that, that's not the point. The bigger point was of the, I believe, 98 respondents, approximately 80 came back and saying it's too early to open anything. And to me, that is a signal that the community understands COVID, that they understand the repercussions, and they are willing to continue with these disruptions and inconveniences until we get to a point where we can start gradually bringing things back on board. Yeah, so and and that's that's great uh, a great topic to bring up because we we've seen a ton of questions uh, um, about reopening of services on the installation, and one of the ones that just keeps coming up is barbershops and of course CDCs. Um, so, are you are are we thinking? Is that even a thing we're thinking about yet, or what do you what do you think, sir? Yeah, it, it is. All of the services that we provide are, we're looking at how to bring them back effectively, but safely. Um, and I'm going to take barbershops, right? Because we're in the military. Uh, Sorry, Major and I have been doing this for a minute, and it's ingrained into us, right? Having that short, tight haircut. Um, although his is a little bit shorter and tighter than mine. Um, but, but that's how most uh, service members are, right? And you take something away from them that they are just so ingrained to do in order to maintain military appearance, and you take it away from them, it's, it's a shock, right? So, yes, we are looking at all of our services and how to bring them back. Uh, our staff has already been doing the mission analysis on this, and we're looking at what services we can bring back under which uh, health protection condition level. So right now at um, HPCon, Charlie, just about everything is closed or it's done virtually. By exception, we have some services that are still ongoing, but for the most part, it's, it's a virtual or reduced operations. And in some, of, in some situations, it's closed. But as we, as we go from or transition from HPCon Charlie to say HPCon Bravo, we can start easing some of these restrictions. And we've already identified what services we can start to bring back. Uh, barbershop is one of those, right? Um, but again, what is the new normal gonna look like? So when we bring the barbershop back on, it's, it's gonna look and operate a little bit differently. Um, Right now, the plan is no more than four barbers, which means no more than four patrons inside the barbershop itself. Um, to get a haircut, you're going to have to put your, print your name legibly on a, um, on a spreadsheet. So in the event that a barber does contract COVID, that can help facilitate the contact tracing our public health officials have been doing a great job with. But that's one example. And as we go from HPCon Bravo to HPCon Alpha, we start bringing more and more um, services and programs back online. But even at Alpha, right? Even at Alpha, I project that I'm going to require at least a quarter of my garrison workforce to remain on telework duty, right? 
because I do anticipate a second wave coming in the fall time frame. So if I can build a reserve and have continuity of those operations, that's, that's kind of what the goal is. I think it's really important too that those listening, you know, understand the uh, what's going into those decisions that you're making, because you're right, you're not going to make everybody happy. Uh, but I think it's also um, important for them to understand that you're not taking any of these decisions lightly, and the amount of work and thought that goes into them all. Sergeant Major, I'm thinking more because I know at the garrison a lot of our workforce is civilian, but looking at the the service members, how how has this pandemic kind of changed the, what their workday looks like each day? So, so a lot of the, a lot of the service members, uh, they're doing several things to mitigate risk. They're doing teleworking. They're doing shift work, uh, abiding by social distancing standards, uh, and they're also working in small cells where they don't have contact with other unit members. So they can just kind of keep that cell uh, by itself, so they don't infect others. Those are just several of the techniques I've seen. One of the big things that's always important is promotions and meeting those promotion requirements. So if they're staying at home or teleworking or what have you, how are they, how are they maintaining that competitiveness for promotions? Well, so the promotions and promotion boards, are, they are still continuing. And, and when I talk about continuing, I'm talking about uh, the Army. I, I don't really track what the other services are doing. Um, so the semi-centralized promotion boards, which occur at the battalion level, are still being conducted virtually uh, or in person following social, social distancing guidelines. Uh, the APFT, Army Physical Fitness Test, and Weapons Qualification Scorecards, uh, they're now good for one year. Uh, so the Department of the Army centralized boards will be beginning at uh, HRC in early June. So now that we're using uh, technology in this new way that we are, and you know we're still getting the mission accomplished, are, are we looking to keep some of this as part of the new normal going forward? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I kind of hit on this a second ago. Even when we get down to like say HPCon Alpha, um, I and probably most of our mission partners are going to have a portion of their force continue and really emphasize um, teleworking. Um, and again, that, that is to create continuity. That's to kind of create a strategic reserve, right? So if you have uh, folks that need to come out because of COVID, you've got a, you got a crew ready to, to backfill them. But, you know, one of the challenges then you, what you have with teleworking is the actual, the hardware needed to, uh, to do it. So another one uh, another lesson learned that we found out is, especially when you put 85% of your garrison workforce on uh, telework, you got to have the right number of laptops, and even if you got the right number of laptops, they got to be current with the current operating systems and everything else, and the um, and the antivirus uh, protection softwares. So we're we're taking a hard look at those. We're working with the uh, with the NEC. We're working with our IMO, and I know all the mission partners are, are doing the same thing. But I, I you know, I, I think this is going to be how we move forward. Um, we're doing a lot of our collaboration over DCS Connect. We're really uh, maximizing VTCs. 
and we're really not missing a beat by doing that. It's it's great to have that human to human contact, but when you got to take yourself out of the game to travel, say down to Washington D.C. or to drive to the other side of the post just to have a face to face, when you can accomplish the same thing over DCS, over a teleconference, over VTC, we're just being a little bit more efficient. So uh, there's a lot of goodness that came out of this. What what are some of the things that have surprised you the most? Uh, you know, the both of you about this pandemic experience, like what's, what's the biggest surprise out of all of this? Well, I, I don't know about a surprise, but one of the, one of the positive things I've noticed is the amount of people in the community that are out walking and running, uh, people are getting after it. Uh, I encourage them to sustain this activity and to accomplish whatever goals they may have. Yeah. I'll say one of my biggest surprises is the speed and lethality that this pandemic brought with it. I mean, it, it literally caught the world by surprise. And because of that, and this, this is the other part of the question, just the abrupt change in our social norms and behaviors as a result of COVID. Um, you know, no more shaking hands, social distancing now, people wearing masks. Um, yeah, it's just completely different. But but people bought in, and they bought in. Majority of people bought in, and they bought in rather quickly. So that was a uh, that, that was a huge surprise. Uh, for both of you, what is one thing that you're looking forward to doing once social distancing and is relaxed and over, and things are reopening? Travel back to Northern New York to visit my family and to take care of some uh, yard work. And then uh, <laughs> another thing I'm looking forward to is uh, the commander and I are hoping to get a charter fishing trip sometime this summer on the Chesapeake. So, uh, you know, hopefully this thing can clear out quick and we can uh, get on the water. Yeah, I I guess for me, the one thing I'm looking forward to the most. um, Well, going to a steak restaurant, eating a big steak. (laughs) That's that's. That's one. Getting a haircut at my own barbershop instead of driving to APG to get one. So that, that's one as well. Playing golf, but the golf courses are open now. Um, so the list is on and on and on and on. But I, I, I will say I'm very proud of the resiliency of this installation in our community, all working together. We're all rowing in the same direction. We're rowing hard. And we're going to get through this, but it's just going to take some time. And I know everybody wants to know when um, that day, when will come once we get a vaccine or a universal cure for this thing. Still ahead, we have Anita Hendricks from the Army Substance Abuse Program taking us through some boxed breathing exercises. But first, here's a message from County Executive Stuart Pittman. Hello, I'm Anne Arundel County Executive Stuart Pittman. I want everyone who lives or works at Fort Meade to know how proud I am to have all 56,000 of you here in our county protecting and serving our country. Nobody knows better than our armed forces that it's in challenging times that we come together in service to one another. I see that happening all over this county, in our healthcare system, our school system, small businesses, and first responders. So thank you for whatever it is that you're doing to help a friend or a neighbor, and please know that we will not only get through this together, but we will build back better. 
it's time to de-stress with Anita Hendricks from the Army Substance Abuse Program. So what is box breathing? Box breathing is also known as square breathing. It involves exhaling to a count of four, holding your lungs empty for a count of four, inhaling at the same pace, and holding air in your lungs for a count of four before exhaling and beginning the pattern again. So basically, everything here is to a count of four. So the term box breathing comes from the imaginary creation of a box that you're making with every in and out breath that you take. Uh, so there's some science behind this slow hold of your breath, which changes your blood flow. Studies suggest that the deep breathing can alter how the body reacts to stress. Also, because of the neuroscience involved, it's been attributed to reducing um, blood pressure, it increases happiness, and it reduces feelings of depression. And it also decreases stress and anxiety. So there's a ton of research on breathing exercises and box breathing is right in there with it. Wherever you wanna research breathing exercises, box breathing will come up. So have you ever found yourself inhaling and exhaling to a rhythm while you're running or um, listening to music? It, so if you've done this, you've already taken the first steps towards box breathing. Box breathing is a type of paced breathing that follows a certain cadence, rhythm, or tempo. So let's try a practice and see how box breathing really works. So first, find a comfortable position for yourself. And this could be a comfortable chair, a sofa, the floor, or if you want to, you can lie down if that makes you more comfortable. So it's whatever makes you comfortable. Now this next part is really important. Make sure you concentrate on your breathing only and block out everything else. I'm gonna say it again because it's really important. Make sure you concentrate on your breathing only and block out everything else. So all those thoughts, whatever you're thinking about, block that. Get that out of your mind. Just concentrate on your breathing. So here we go. So to help you with your timing, let's pick a word or a phrase with four syllables and let's make it fun. For example, I love Lucy. That's four syllables. I love Lucy. Another one is Mississippi. Or how about hypotenuse or happy birthday, happy birthday. And here's one, I love working. So I'm gonna go with happy birthday because I know a few people that are having birthdays in the next few days. So I hope you found a comfortable position for yourself. Close your eyes, 
and concentrate on your breathing. Feel the coolness of the air traveling through your nose, down to your lungs. Don't think about anything else. Breathe in through your nose while counting to four slowly. As you do that, draw that imaginary first line to the box. Hold your breath inside while counting slowly to four. Draw the imaginary second line to the box. Begin to slowly exhale for four seconds. Happy birthday. Draw the imaginary third line to the box. Happy birthday. Draw the imaginary fourth line to the box. Happy birthday. This should complete the shape of a simple box. You can repeat this as many times as you want. The more you do it, the more it will relax you, the more it will lower your blood pressure, the more it will increase your happiness and reduce those feelings of depression. And that's basically it. So now go forth, box breathe, relieve any anxiety, stress, or tension you may be feeling. And don't forget the most important thing. Make sure you concentrate on your breathing, your breathing only, and block out everything else. Thank you. Till next time. That's it for this episode of Fort Meade Declassified. Be sure to follow us on social media or download the Fort George G. Meade app from the App Store. Please be sure to visit our website at home.army.mil forward slash Meade for up-to-date information on COVID-19.